Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. show. That has a nice rhyme to it. We're going to go live with social media and I'm going to kick off today's broadcast by telling you about the audio archive of the week. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> I love it. Because I find myself. Okay. Here we go. Let's go live. Okay. I'll be standing over here. Okay. I'm over here. All right. So we're going to go live here with social media. We're going to be talking about our audio archive of the week, and Rachel's going to let me know when we are socially active, because today's Paul Price show, I don't know what it's about, but I tell you, it's not going to disappoint at all. You know, this is like the, okay, we're live. Hey, welcome to today's Paula Price show. I am Apostle Ashley, not Dr. Price, but don't worry, she's right here in the room. I'm sure you hear her anointed fingers clacking away. But today, I'm going to kick off by telling you about our audio archive of the week. And it is the economy of the spiritual prostitute. Dun, dun, dun. We're all on on sound effects. (laughs) Do we need any help? No. no. The economy of the spiritual prostitute is this week's audio archive of the week. Where I am right now with these audio archives, Dr. Price, is like where I was when God told me to break the wall of silence over your ministry, yeah. over your voice. This was actually about 10 years ago. And in this one, he gave one phrase from his word, feed my sheep. When you walk with the Lord a long time, you, don't need much you know what that means, mm-hmm. especially when you know what your job is. Feed my sheep. And so we have been digging through boxes of cassette tapes, and Rachel is behind the scenes going, yes. She's got to give us a little bit of a testimony. Yes. She, she's in the light. You know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 back oh, there, yeah. but all of the people yeah. coming up. Yeah, so she's in the light. <laughs> yes. Her hair is swinging today. No, she has to tell her own testimony about yes, deliverance. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're done. Yes, because she has a testimonial of deliverance. But the, the economy of the spiritual prostitute. First, I want to tell you, now when you go to Dr. Price's website and you scroll down to about the middle of the homepage and you click on shop for products and you go to the e-store, Prophet Adia set up a new category called, I believe it's called Audio Archives, Dr. Yes. Price's Audio Archives. She just rearranged that, so it's going to be easy to find this category. I believe the audio is also show up in audio, but she also created that category, so you can go right there. Uh, last week was a Let's Just Talk Dealing with Dreams and Visions. This week is the Economy of the Spiritual Prostitute, Part 1. Mm. Okay, so the lesson covers, I'm telling you, I was talking to myself. And going through this and editing. <laughs> nobody was editing this. No, Just nobody was around. Me and Jesus. And sometimes you're happy nobody's around. You get your piece of delivery. You're like, oh. Oh, no. okay. So she talked about prostituting yourself for other gods. Mm, mm, mm. 
this but is do the they even time. get what that means, you know? Do you explain it. Do I explain it? Yes. She said that whoever you yield yourself to obey becomes your God. <sighs> okay. Mm. And she addressed gender neutrality in 2002. This was August of 2002, mm-hmm. not 12, two, <laughs> where she kicked open gender neutrality and even ties it to reproduction. And she says, you will never get specificity from neutrality. No. And you made a comment about how <laughs> when the whole uh, homosexual same sex, all that's happening. She said, but you got to denutralize to go to somebody if you want to reproduce. Okay. You need a positive and a negative step. All right, to make that happen. And she dealt with how and why we anesthetize the soul. Oh. Mm. This is the predecessor to 3D. This is before biblical psychology. I'm so fired up about these archives because you'll be able to hear the progression of Dr. Price's revelation. Mm. It didn't just fall out of the sky. Mm -hmm. And even in the culmination of the book, it was from before I met her. We're talking about 20 years. Before that, rolling out. So she veered into 3D, soul of success, (laughs) biblical psychology, 2002. And how addiction really happens. If you want to know how you got addicted, uh, and addiction is not just substance. Addiction is not just sex. It doesn't just show up in shopping, okay? There are things, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not whoring around, I'm not a drunk, and I'm not a shopaholic, so I must be good. No, no, no. Those emotional addictions and all of those invisible things that make us look normal until somebody hits a button in our soul and we lose it. All right. So she deals with that, and how, why you struggle with your sexuality. Man, I was in it back then, wasn't I? And I'm not going to tell you the rest of that statement because I want you to spend $9.99 and download it. Yeah, but they are. Because it is so, you see I'm fired up. It is so good. So that's this week's audio archive. And since we have a testimonial in the studio. We might as well let him testify. Her hair is swinging today, by the way. Yeah, she's swinging. So you might as well. Share. Yeah, yeah, just bring the, bring the thing with you. She said, bring the thing. This I love it. This is reality TV editor. Yeah. You know, we got trying this to. This is reality. We will get to the other parts, but. Okay, I'll run the, I'll run the camera. Hold first on. of all, you have to give a brief, I mean, less than 60 second statement on how you got from Portland to Tulsa and on my staff, because that speaks into this. Yes. Well, the first time I heard Dr. Price, it was like, who is this lady? Who is she talking? What is she talking about? And I need to know her stuff because she was speaking to something that I had never heard before. And I had grew up in church pretty much, and I had never heard it before. So I said, "Um, this woman knows more about Jesus in this hour that I've listened to her (laughs) than I've ever heard in my entire life. So there was that. But so I got connected with um, her prophet in the Portland area, Dr. Spears, and um, I came to the summit, my very first event, and I said, oh, she was talking about people are going to come and move. I was like, oh, that's so nice. Oh, that's exciting. Oh, that's so great. And then um, in December, the next month, the Lord was like, um, I want you to move to Tulsa. And I said, oh, okay, sure, great, yeah. But I really didn't fight it because I knew I needed to be near this woman mm-hmm. because the message, the teaching, the material, everything, it's speaks to so much that I've had questions about growing up in the church and never been able to get them answered. And so 
you know, fast forward to now, sitting in the tape mine, listening to the tape listening to all the material. Um, I listened to this message specifically, and um, and I listened to it last week, and it's been a week since I've mm-hmm. eaten sugar, processed sugar, because I recognized that sugar was a god, and it passes through. She even talked about genetically how these your family, your predecessors, you know, make uh, offerings to these gods, and it passes down through the bloodline. And so I was like, okay, so this speaks to why. You know, diabetes is genetic. I mean, like, I'm going all over the place. I'm like, okay. So I knew then I had to um, give up the sugar. And so it's been about a week since I've had processed sugar. And, and was, everybody and, knows and that's caffeine. Yeah, and yeah. caffeine. And caffeine. And caffeine. Double header right So, there. you know, it's been uh, really great. You know, obviously I'm using the Geritol to kind of help. Keep me up, but I mean, it's just been—it was really powerful. And just each each time I listen to something that Dr. Price says, it just spins my soul into this, you know, like spin cycle on the washing machine. <laughs> it's getting clean. So which, one, so which one got you the most? Can you identify one that really kind of dug in there? How many have you listened to? I've listened to about three or four um, by myself because I we played played them in the back um, with other people. But three or four of them I've listened to, and it's been about a week since we've been that I've been doing it, and I feel like, yeah. yes, it seems like forever. <laughs> I know. I would say that the economy of the spiritual prostitute was the one that really got me, like, okay, wow, um, there's some things I really need to work on here. So, what do you really know about a spiritual the spiritual prostitute from the show? It well, it's a calling. The, the the gods of these other the, of these other lands at the time mm-hmm. when it, when it was from the scripture reference that you used they called to you they call you they call you out you have something in your soul that is crying out and they're answering that mm-hmm. call so you in exchange for whatever it is that you want to use to anesthetize the cries in your soul that addiction that you have these gods will respond, and they give you something. So it's that exchange that's happening in the spirit, and that's how you become bound. So Well, I'm glad somebody paid attention. Yeah. Oh, no, she went, I'm sorry. She went kind of past paying attention. <laughs> so for me, that's why, I, you know, and you said in there, um, God knows what will free you, the word yeah. that will free you. And for me, I don't want to serve any other gods. And that was, I was like, okay, you know, like, oh, well, you're not getting sugar, you know, maybe once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. And that was making excuse to have to, you know, go make my offering to that God, yeah. go prostitute myself for that God. Because you know it's not good for you. Right. It's I not, know it's uh, not good for me. <laughs> because, I mean, other people, it could be something else. Yes. You know, us is you, sugar, somebody else is bread and carbs, somebody else. Right. Me, we don't even want to get into the right. strong stuff. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because whatever causes your obeisance, that obedience, that obeisance to God with, or, or, or to whatever, you know, that's what, mm-hmm. that's the God that calls you, exactly. that's the one that you serve. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, man, I had to hear somebody um, talk about what's going on. And so the people, tell them why they want to start investing in this. And if you really want to be free, then you want to invest. I mean, to me, this is stuff, she's still talking about it. That's what is so powerful to me, is that she hasn't changed 
from the message that she preached. This is a woman of integrity, so you can trust that what she's saying is really going to set you free. Mm. And she lives this way. And so for me, it's being here, I'm able to see that she lives this way and that it's not just something that she gets off on Facebook and just preaches and then she goes off and, you know, does whatever she wants to do. But <laughs> this is how she lives. Mm-hmm. And so I know that she speaks specifically to her experience with the word and it even working in your own soul mm-hmm. and how you're strong. And so I'm like, okay, well, I can listen to this, and I know that what she's going to say, and I can obey, mm-hmm. and I can obey the word of the Lord from the apostle. Yes. And so that's why if you want to do it, because, you know, she has the, she, you're going to have something to set somebody's soul free. Yes. She's a soulologist. I'm the soulologist of the kingdom. You're so free in some way, yes, form or fashion. So indefinitely, the 999 is worth the freedom if you've been looking for it. Paid the nine ninety nine, you will not be disappointed. Excellent. I just, you know, I really wanted you to hear that because I wanted her to somebody. Thank you, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Rachel, I wanted her because Rachel relocated here and her life is. How long have you been here? Uh, like a year, year and a half. Year and a half, almost. Yes, yeah, she and her husband relocated here. Got this cute little five year old son. Just as cute as a buck. Oh, he's six now. Yes, he's you know, now. and he kind of well on his way as well. And so, but you're talking about deliverances that we know could take years. Yeah. Actually just taking, you know, one year or some some people a few months. So I just thought, well, let me just tell y'all, let me tell y'all. Tell us. Tell y'all what, you know, what it's about. But when you touch, here's the thing I want you to write down today. Not every word is going to free every captive soul. And that's the essence that we have neglected. That's why we come up with this, these, um, uh, what do you call this, uh, canned, you know, canned programs, therapies. We come up with phrases. You know how it is, Ashley. You got your little key phrase, your little, your slogans and all of that. The, yeah, the go-tos and the fallbacks. See, and so, but it takes you understanding the word, not even just the memory. A lot of people use memory therapy. We're going to take you back. We're going to put you in the pot of water, put you in the dark, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, you can still remember things and still not know how to be free. Because in order to be free, there has to be a, one, a person who is liberated in the area of your captivity. <coughs> Because <laughs> two captives can't set each other free. Oh. Can you say that one more? <laughs> so you got, you know, leaders bound in all all kinds of bondage, you know, sexual bondage, whatever else you want to call it. They got bound in all kinds of bondages, drugs, and you talk about you're going to sit there and lay your hands for your sheep to get free. That can't happen. How can Satan cast out Satan? And, and and it doesn't make sense to Satan to cast out Satan. Satan doesn't think it makes good sense to cast himself out. He feels like that is detrimental to his kingdom. Yeah, you know, because it's not in his best interest to cast himself out. Now, he will do, you know, he does movable deities and movable devils and movable demons. He will move them around. 
you know, like they'll, it looks really good. We'll have those high services look really good. We got camera in people's face while they're frothing. Everybody's running around the church. We're shouting and carrying on. And he'll go with that because he's, you know, he's a glory hog. So he'll play that game. But when you get home, if you get home, because many times those devils just go to the car. Some of them just stand outside on the wall. And so when you get home, you, you have a couple of days you feel really, really great because it was euphoric, but it was still an experience and not a deliverance. And many times we call those momentary experiences deliverance because deliverance cannot happen in an instant. I know that you say that, you know, but unless you're Jesus the Christ, who is the Logos, who has all the words that, that make free and enslaved and free again, Deliverance is not going to happen in an instant because captivity doesn't happen in a second. Your captivity started like everything else in God. It started as a seed and eventually grew into a principality. And so I would say to you, and if, if I could, I would say to you, I agree with deliverance. I agree with deliverance ministries. I'm just really disappointed that deliverance ministries don't get into any more than the technicalities. Because some of you all need the psychology. Some of you all need that neurotherapy. Some of you all need a whole lot of things because all bondage is a complex. And I'll say all of it is a complex, and some of them are multiplex. They're multiplex captivity. You cannot get free because it's kind of like, I get rid of this, and this pops up. I get rid of that, and that pops up. I get that covered, and this pops up. Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and everything is not only interconnected, but intrinsic. Your liberty is intrinsic. Your captivity, intrinsic. And you have all of, and then you have these covenants with these extrinsic things. Yeah, I'm using a word that you got to look up because you know what? You got to be smart because your devil was smart enough to trick you into letting him live with you. And then smart enough to let, you, let him live in you. And then smarter than you and able to live through you. Took your life and you didn't even know it. I think about cigarettes. I was bound to cigarettes. I'm going to tell you right now, I did everything with the cigarettes. Now, that's interesting because I learned a lot from my deliverance. So I was bound. I mean, whew, when I tell you everything, I'm in the labor room, sneaking in the bathroom, smoking cigarettes. I got to have it. So you can, you can understand it. About a couple of my kids have a few respiratory issues. And so I did everything with the cigarette. And yet, when God delivered me, he delivered me one night at a revival, one fell swoop, he just took it. He, I mean, literally, he, he burnt it out of me because my spirit and my soul were hemorrhaging and, and, and inflamed for almost a month and a half, six weeks or so. But when I got delivered that night, the next that night I woke up. No, that's not what happened. I got delivered. I was ecstatic, and I didn't want a cigarette. But I said, I went to get it. I said, God said, you don't need that. I'm, yes, I do. I've been doing this for all 14 years, and, and this is all I know. He said, well, go to bed, get up and go through tomorrow. Keep them with you. But if you, if I really delivered you, you won't want them. I said, well, my friend smoke, my mother smoke, my whole house smoke out. I mean, I'll be left out. Now, think about it. This is a logic, however distorted. So I did what he said. I went to bed. 
I woke up, went to work, had meeting after meeting, people puffed in my face, everything. And, you know, it was always that cigarette and coffee in the morning and then the cigarette and coffee after the meal. So people puffed in my face and everything. I, and I had my pack of cools in my bag. I was ready. And I never missed it. So I said, he said, so how'd you do? I said, well, God, I never really missed it. He said, uh, I said, okay. He said, do it again. So I did it the second day. And the third day, I could freely throw them away. However, there were some residuals and some carryovers from that habit. For example, the upshot was that I had a whole lot more money in my pocket at the end of the week. I did not realize how much money I was investing in that addiction. Downside, the addiction I knew was a spirit. Because the devil gave me a dream. The spirit of nicotine came to me in the dream at night and literally crafted an entire scenario where I sat down and went back to smoking with some friends and, and all of that, and it was real. So I knew it was, I knew it was not just a dream because my entire being was feeling the cigarette, smelling it, and all of that, and delighted in it. So I, I woke up. Out of this, because it, it, it locks you, because the trances don't let you go. So it locked me <clears throat> until it was finished. So I woke up that morning, and I mean tears are running down my face. I am so sorry to God. And I'm weeping, and I mean hot tears. And I'm weeping, and I'm sad, and I feel like, my God, I haven't even been with him but a few days, and I've already failed him. So I was like, whew, that hurt my heart. So God begins to talk. And Jesus says, so... Do you know what day it is? I said, well, yes, it's so-and-so. He said, what well, was yesterday? I said, it was so-and-so. He said, what did you do between those two days? I said, I went to work. You know, God's a psychologist. You know, you know if you don't ever grow up in his word, you'll never get him to heal your soul. But anyway, so he said, what did you do? I said, well, I went to work. I went to um, whatever else after work activities. I said, and I went to bed. He said, so you went to work. You went to bed. And then you woke up. He said, so when could you have smoked? Uh-huh. He said, when? Did you get up in the night? No, I slept all night. He said, so if you did not get up in the night to smoke, you have to recognize that dream was not your reality. That was Satan's reality. That was the devil's reality. The prince of nicotine, the prince of nicotine addiction wanted you back. Really? Yeah. And so he wanted to use a sense of, he wanted to use a, a uh, imagined failure to bring about the guilt that would put you back into hopelessness. So that in a hopeless state of having failed me, you go and say, what's the use? You throw up your hands. What's the use? I mean, after all, I already messed up. He said, that's how slick this, this warfare is against my church and my people and against addicts. See, many addicts fell back because the sprint of that addiction came back and literally conjured an illusion to, that engaged your emotions and engaged your, your soul and your senses to the point that you became a believer in your failure and your recidivism. You just, you believed it. It wasn't even so. And nobody could tell you because you're, when you come out of an addiction, your mind isn't free. 
Your heart isn't free. Your soul isn't free. Your senses are still conditioned to that captivity, whatever it may be. And that is why deliverance is not a single event. We treat it like that. Then you go home because, see, we keep telling you, you know, you feel like because they yell at you. I don't even know why we're talking about this today. But anyway, this is halfway where I'm going. But, you know, you feel like because people can yell, do all of those theatrics, call their name, give, their, give the devil's name, give them addresses and all of that, you feel as if that person or anyone who does that, who is a little higher than you and the Lord, is more powerful than the power that enslaved you. And they're not. Not all of them. It takes a Listen to Jesus. And remember, Jesus is up on the mountain. He's getting ready to go home. He's got his three top students, his three top apostles. They're up there with him on the mountain. He's getting instructions from heaven. Your time's up. We're coming to get you. Moses and Elijah show up to, to let the apostles know that the afterlife is real and that there is a heaven and there is a God and that Jesus is Lord because they show up as Jesus' servants, ages, okay? So he's up there. Meanwhile, down there, there's a kid with a devil, and his apostles, the nine that didn't make it to the top three, I'm just saying, they're down there wrestling with a devil. And so, and people are thinking, you walked with Jesus, you all were part of the 12, so even if Jesus isn't here, we can still bring our captive people you know, to them, to these nine, and get them free. And they are wrestling with this devil. So Jesus comes down the mountain, because, see, you all think y'all know Jesus talk, but you don't, because the man talks like a sovereign. And so you come down, and Jesus is like, what's going on? Sir, I brought my son to him, but your disciples couldn't deliver him. Now, they all were in the same class. They're the same curriculum. They had the same amount of Jesus, and yet, the three that believed him enough to be trusted with his realities were down there. So Peter, James, and John, obviously they are the A students in the class because we think God doesn't have A students. We think that all 12 did well. Well, they didn't because we had three that did well. One was a devil was meant to not do well. Well, actually he was going to do well by destroying Jesus. So we really got eight. And they're down there wrestling, and Jesus said, he's irritated. You can listen to, how long do I have to be with you? That means they failed a lot. And we like to, you know, talk about it's all right if you fail. It's all right if you're not a Peter, you're not a James, you're not a John. Yes, it is all right, but it isn't superior. So, and it's not reliable. See, all right education and all right training and all right evaluations and assessments, they are all right. They're just not effective. They're not reliable. They're not consistent. And the biggest thing is that their benefits do not work on demand. So Jesus said, how long do I have to be with you all before you get this right? He, he's like casting out a deaf new demon. Right? Now, who in the world thinks you can fail that class? You, Jesus. Of course it's going to go out. He rebukes the spirit. But he does say this kind only comes forth by prayer and fasting. Now, we assume fasting is starving ourselves. But prayer and fasting means isolating yourself 
and confining yourself to that which will give you the strength you lack to arrive at or perform what you need. So when you think about deliverance, deliverance is not a one-step thing. Now, God has a lot to say about deliverance. I do deliverance. I've been doing deliverance when I didn't even know what the heck was a name for it. I just was setting people free. But I have found you can set people free. In other words, deliverance plan, the deliverance line is like the emergency clinic, the emergency room, not even clinic. Because after the emergency room, you need to go into the emerging clinic, the clinic where you emerge as a fully free, liberated saint of God. So you go and God speaks the word, rebukes your devil. Those are his devils. So, yeah, they're going to do what he wants because they're his devils. And so Jesus rebukes them, and we learned that. But you know what? He's, he's proved that he can give everybody classes, but not everybody is going to pass. So just because you took a class doesn't mean you passed in God. You might have finished your curriculum. You did your little books. You know, and, and we got these little short books as if deliverance is not a supra-complex action that relies on multifold, multi-strand expertise. See, the apostles, those three on the, well, all 12 were experts, but the super experts were on the mountain with Jesus. There's something about how they responded to his existence, because we make it all about our existence. But there's something about how the A-class, the alpha apostles, responded to Jesus' existence. And their response to his existence literally engendered his trust in their faithfulness, their fidelity, their loyalty. And as a result, he rewarded them with a, a, a greater measure of his potency and sovereignty. I hope this is helping you. So you can, that's why you went and you went to the emergency room and you got your devils called out. But you did not go to the clinic for them to stay out. And that is what you need. If that's a clinical thing. Now that we've gotten rid of the spiritual, then we got, we've got to deal with the psychological that's ruling the biological. Hmm, somebody hear me. So you have to deal with your soul because, see, your soul is what was captive. You got a new spirit if you really had a conversion to Jesus, right? You got a new spirit and you got a new heart. And when we start, you know, in this, I dig into that new heart thing just a little bit. But you got a new spirit and you got a new heart, which means the signals from your old heart are no longer dictating your soul, but your soul doesn't know the new codes. So because your soul is now getting new information, awesome information from this new spirit, your Soul is confused, and it's also something else. It's standing against your conversion because its job is to preserve you, and preservation requires the status quo. So 
your soul is like, I don't, I don't know what that is. That's why you, you go to church after you get saved. Your heart is all excited. I thought I'm in my heart. I'm all excited. Your head is like, I don't care. I don't care about this new heart thing you got going on there. I don't care about this new soul thing. All I know is my job is to keep my entity, my dimension safe and secure. I have to keep you going because, see, I have to keep this brain receiving information that will not cause it to go tilt, that will not frustrate and confuse it. And, see, my, I can only do that through the mind that I know. So your mind is fighting because the new mind from the mind of Christ, the new spirit, is going after that old mind, and that old mind is like, you got to be kidding me. I'm not going anywhere. I've been here longer than you. So I'm not going to change. That's why you have so many Christians that are carnal-minded. Carnal-minded means that the soul is in control of the mind, not the Holy Spirit, not the new creation spirit, nor the, the, the dictates of the heart. And so the, your, your, God said, he said, but to be carnally minded is death. What is it death to? Ultimate death to your body, but it's death to your mentality. So you, if you are not going to assign your will to recode your mind, then your brain will always fight anything that is of the new creation, anything of Christ. Because remember, you're not born in this world with Christ as your God. Otherwise, why would you need to be born again? So here you are. Your soul is full of these, these bondages, full of captivity, full of death and doom. Your soul, and, it's, and it loves it. that You have all of these appetitive strongholds. Because it, you're operating in that sense realm. And that sense realm is all about pleasure, desire, lust, etc. We have a whole other class that's on this. And so your soul is operating in that realm. And, in, and facilitating all of that are these unclean spirits that came down through your genetics, that came in through your natural bloodline, that come in through your will, your decisions, and things that happened to you that were out of your control, but still within your power to prevent. So you've got preventative, you've got attitudes, you've got a whole lot going on in the soul. And, mo- and all of it has been undisturbed until you got saved. They were unchallenged. And so unless a a, a traumatic ordeal affected them, was inflicting on them, they will stay the same. And so your life works. That's why when people, the first thing that kicks up when your family member gets saved is what? Soul preservation. See, self-preservation is the totality, but that preservation begins in the soul realm. So your soul, you go to your family, I just went to church, it was wonderful, I feel so good, I got da 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 and the family's like, uh, don't bring that here. <laughs> Honey, them devils get to talking, and that's when you know who really has authority over your life. 
So you are all of a sudden family members, they double down, boy. They're ready to come after you. They're going to bring you. If it's about food, baby, everybody's going to deliver you food. Food's going to come out the north, the south, the east, and the west. People who never cooked for you and never cared to buy you a meal, all of a sudden, they're going to keep you eating. Why? Because that spirit is doubling down, and it said, I'm not going without a fight. Drugs. All of a sudden, you spend maybe, you do your little 28 days or whatever in rehab, and you come out, and you are really, really clean. I mean, you love God. You are clean. You are, while you were in there, God was with you, etc. and then you had to go out in the world. And who did you think was going to pick you up? Because, see, you left a lot of homeless devils behind when you got delivered and got clean. A lot of homeless, unclean things. And so, the, honey, they don't, uh, are you kidding? They're going to bolster it. All of a sudden, if you don't take drugs willingly, they will slap an illness on you so that you have to take it for, to get well, to either diminish pain, etc. They'll force you into an accident so that you have to take them in just in another guise and in another form. If your addiction has to do with, with um, rage, you will constantly find yourself, b- b- your situations that never inflamed you before. Because what you're going to meet when you call yourself deliberate is extremes and exaggerations and embellishments. So you're, you're trying to stay free. And, and you know what? Because when you go to those places to get free and you go to those places that, are, that don't have the word of God, that are, don't deal with bring Jesus Christ's liberty to you, you go in there. And as long as you're in that environment, that group thing, that, that you know, all, all containment, yeah, you're strong. So you really believe that you're strong enough to go it alone. And then you go to the therapy things, and they go and tell you how it's just not your fault, and you you can't help it, and you just and, and next thing you know, you're taking the antidote to prime you for a relapse. Because it's not what you're taking; it's what it's doing for you. So you're you're there, you know. So you get out. I don't care what it is. If it's alcohol, I'm telling you, you're going to walk out of there. And one thing you need to know, alcoholics will always smell alcohol. It could be a thousand miles away. They're going to smell it. And so you get out, and you, the first thing you want to do is boast and brag. I'm clean. I'm different. It's done. You think a 28-day window is going to give you lifetime deliverance. And the numbers, for that, that works for very rare. And most of the psychological counsel you get is, is literally verbalizes your relapse. Now, listen, you got to go and go back and go meet everybody that you hurt and whatnot. Well, what if you hurt 44 alcoholics? Guess what you're going to be at the, at the end of your apologies? Because it's not, see, the devil is about more than the compulsion. It's all, if that spirit has been with you a long time, it has an infrastructure in your psychological, soulological self. There's a whole infrastructure. They have comings and goings going out there, 
scouting for things to, to come in why, and, and, and scouting for ways to build um, and reinforce themselves or to take more and more of your will and your privilege and your selfhood away. They do that. Now, Dr. Price, how can you say they go out and scout? Because the Bible said when a spirit is cast out, it goes out scouting. It's scouting. So there is a coming and going in your souls. That's all part of our class, our biblical psychology class. Some of you all, we've been inviting you to take it because it helps you get free. Now, it's only the beginning of it, but quite a few people have had extraordinary success with it. Likewise, my 3D program, Taking a Soul from Distress to Success. Because I'm telling you, your soul is, within your soul is the dictates of your destiny. Your destiny may come from the spirit realm. It comes from your spirit, but it's dictates, it's navigations, it's maneuvers, it's strategies, all of that soul realm. See, we've dealt so much about gifts of the spirit, we've never dealt with the dooms of the soul. But you know the gifts of the spirit. I know the nine gifts of the spirit. may not even get that was even taught wrong. There's no such thing as the nine gifts of the Spirit. I don't care how many millions of dollars were made on it. It doesn't say that. It said, but the manifestation of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to, to all by the self-same Spirit as the Spirit wills. A gift you exercise at your will. A manifestation is an outer force or an outer facility acting on you. So when people come in and say, well, I got the gift of the word of knowledge, what does that mean? What does that mean? Half of the people walking around talking about they got the gift of the word of knowledge, never read Proverbs, ever, ever. Don't even know Proverbs is in the Bible, the book of wisdom. Well, I just get it from Jesus. Well, Jesus got it from his father. Well, I get it from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost got it from Jesus. Jesus got it from his father, and his father wrote about it in the book of Proverbs. So you cannot have the gift of the, of, of the word of wisdom. You can't. You cannot have the gift of. You, now, you can have a manifestation of the word of wisdom. You can have a manifestation of prophecy, word of knowledge. But guess what? The knowledge comes from a knowledge bank. Where is it? So, likewise, when we talk about deliverance, you know, well, I, I, I have a deliverance ministry. Where'd you get it from? And what does it mean? What does it look like? And why is why are the psychologists still making so much money if you're successful? We got Christian psychologists. We've got unchristian psychologists. They're making a fortune off of people who have the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom. So think about it. Deliverance is not a single event. I don't care how many deliverance ministries you you read about. It is not a single event. And any any deliverance ministry that does not follow up or have a follow up program for you to stay free is an emergency room. You just went and got a shot for the flu. I got a flu shot. I had the food, they gave me some antibiotics, told me to drink a lot of water. You know, I got cut, I'm stitched up, you got some stitches. But you did not get free. Because deliverance is not a single event. The soul gets free by logic. I mean, the soul was made by logic, the logos. That means there's a logic to the soul that 
rationalizes captivity or liberty. Now, y'all know y'all need to sow into me today. Y'all need to dig deep today because I'm setting captives free. You all need to sow into this, especially since I'm giving you all of this immaterial wisdom for the immaterial side of you that will change the material existence you've been living. The soul has a logic. We're so busy fighting whether we logos or rhema, we don't even understand it, but the soul has a logic that dictates our rhetoric. It has an intelligence that tells it inwardly how to stay free or how to move into captivity. That's real. I told you, I'm a soulologist. I'm going to give you about the soul because I understand it. I understand it because Jesus, he let me know. And I know you might, I don't know. I said to somebody, we said a couple of weeks ago, team, well, you know, um, Jesus went to hell. Jesus' soul went to hell. People, I mean, I didn't even know Jesus had a soul. Well, I didn't even know God had a soul. Well, I didn't know Jesus' soul went to hell. See, I like that. And I want, I'm going to talk, we're going to come back at that. So all of this is to introduce you, hallelujah, to what I have done. Now, what I've, get, what I've given you, that, that little taste, and trust me, it's a little taste, that taste was to lead you into the solution. So I have I've, um, introduced the Soul of Success Heart Clinic. <clears throat> now, I have worked, I have developed a Soul of Success program that we've been using, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, um, Apostle Ash should probably tell you. What, do you know how long? Portland. Five years, I think, the, from the first workbook you did. Oh, that turned into? That turned into. About five years? About, so for five years, I've been working on this program called Soul of Success. And it's based on three things. Number one. It's based on John's words that said that he wished above all things that we prospered and were in health, and even as our soul. So he wishes the apostles should be interested in soul prosperity and not just financial prosperity, but the health and wealth of your soul. So that's the first thing. The second thing is a king, David, said, but he restores my soul which means there are times in your life where your soul has been so pummeled through life events and, un, you know, unexpected this or that, that it becomes debilitating your existence in a prosperous way, in a healthy way. Some of you listening to me right now, your soul is so depleted and it's so debilitated, you, every day you wake up and say, God, help me. Well, you sound like David. He restores my soul. And you should, you should know what that means. But the last one, which is our, my particular tagline, if you will, is that rationale. Your soul, listen, your talents can take you where your soul can't keep you. It can't defend you. It can't deliver for you. All it can do is take the blows and eat the uncleanness that's thrown at it. And they begin to fill the voids because good decisions bring healthy appetites and healthy uh, uh, reactions and healthy substance in your soul. And that starts with the word of God. 
because we were made by the word of God. You hear so many preachers talk about, I don't understand. I mean, I don't even know what the Bible is for, but that's probably because you're not an agent of the Bible, but you're still an entity of creation. And the Bible says we were created by the word of God. And when you got born again, you got born again by the incorruptible word of God. Because God has to deal with soul corruption. Some of you all, your soul is so corrupt, you didn't mean to lie. You didn't mean to cheat. You didn't mean to fall into addictions. You didn't need to fall in somebody else's bed. You didn't mean to take something from someone or whatever. But your soul was so impacted with corruption and infested with unclean spirits and contaminated by their doctrines and their beliefs and values, their philosophies, that it doesn't know how to do anything. So you've got all of these entities in you, and they're rivaling each other. They're fighting each other. They're fighting for control of you. They're fighting to have their way. They're fighting to force you to behave a certain way or to fall into a particular conduct. That's a, you know, the problem with, with, with folks is that they don't realize you, with the Holy Spirit, you got one spirit, and God's goal is to be the only spirit in you and in charge of you. But until that happens, he's got to systematically deal with all of that, 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 that universal, that you, I want to say universe, almost constellation of unclean spirits in your soul. And as long as you stay in churches that don't teach the word or only teaches the pieces that everybody likes and, and, and stay with a, a, a single theme or a, a single su- subject, only those pieces will you'll be free. And because you feel better or because and sometimes you just feel better, you think you're delivered when you're only relieved. Boy, I had a, that, that was a good word. I feel better, you know, and that's a relief. But, you know, that, that doesn't mean that we've dealt with it. It's kind of like a deliverance line will go in and deliver you, take the, and kick that spirit out, but it leaves a hole. Jesus said it leaves a void, and you have got to decide what that void is. And sometimes they don't even bother stitching it up. It's just you just got this great gaping hole in yourself. So we took out that issue. Let's just use it as a cancer or a growth or a tumor, but there's nothing in its place. So the soul is like, whew, something is missing. And because it senses in that void something missing, it goes out looking for a replacement or looking for something to fill that hollowness. It's very complex. You know, it's very, very complex. And I'm not giving it to That's why I'm a soulologist. I'm not a psychologist. That's a whole other person doing a whole other thing. Now, I may understand the psychology of the soul because psych being the Greek word for, you know, I mean, the English word for suke, but I'm a soulologist because I'm, I'm interested in addressing your soul the way the maker did it. So I'm dealing with your soul as the, from the maker's perspective. You know, it, I mean, it's nice that guy on the corner can fix your car for a third of the price, but it's better to take it to that dealer who has everything concerning that product from A to Z. So I'm encouraging you to do this because I gave you a lot of history. I gave you a lot of answers. So this here is Solar Success, and so this is a webinar on the soul of your heart and its effects on your life. Your heart. Man, when we get, and this is just a taste, because um, the class I have on the heart is amazing, and it's immense, because the heart's immense. 
because you have to understand all of this within the context of the salvation of Jesus Christ, the redemption of Jesus Christ. The reason you don't want to fight your redemption, I mean, fight for your redemption is because you don't know what it means. Like, for example, you don't know what the word redeem means. The redeem, and we give you the, the, you know, buyback, you know, and all ransom. But do you know the word deem comes from the word doom? It is the judgment that authorizes doom. And so redeem means God buys you back from doom. Now, that's a simple statement, but I bet it was enlightening. I'm sure that it was insightful. So when you say deem, deem didn't originate as some sort of contemplation, um, just, you know, freestyle contemplation. It actually is a judicial term. And it's a term that says that a tribunal was held, and that tribunal heard the case against you and deliberated on the facts and the details and rendered a verdict against you of doom or not. So when you see Redeemer, God, that's a whole bigger, that puts Jesus in a whole other context, doesn't it? I know my Redeemer lives. Yeah, because he altered the verdict on your life. And the reason he can alter that verdict that's righteous. See, God thinks all of this is righteous. We, we have a problem with that. God doesn't. He's like, well, hey, you know, this is the best I'm left to work with. So he's working with that. And all of those, those psychological sentences, those genetic sentences, there's a lot of sentences on us that we just kind of encapsulate in a three-letter word called sin. So there's, a, I mean, a ton of stuff. And even on the devils that jumped in our family line, they're doomed. They're the reason doom exists. So then your redeemer goes and says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this person back from death. I'm going to buy this. Uh, here, what does it take? And so that, God, that tri- tribunal sat down. Satan came with the case. This is my case against humanity. And he didn't have all humanity. He just had an atom. He only needed one. He had a sperm-filled atom. He said, so what is the case? The case is you told him not to eat, he ate. And when he ate, he got me. He's now mine. And God's like, so what, would, what will it take? What do you want? Negotiation. What do you want to give me man back? He said, actually, I want your life. If you really want to know what I want, I want your life. I want, and it's kind of like, and I've used this example before, it's kind of like the cop and the criminal standing together, the criminal saying, if you didn't have that badge, and if you didn't have that gun, and if you didn't have that title, I'd, I'd destroy you. And so the cop puts down the gun, the title, and all of that. That, that was God, Jesus' divine privilege. He's going to lay this sovereignty down. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay this sovereignty down. I'm going to lay down my power of command. I'm going to lay down my rank in heaven, my rank in creation. I'm going to lay it all down, and I'm going to meet you on earth. And so he said, huh, let's go, because he's convinced that his leftover residuals from his fall will outdo Jesus Christ, because Jesus has got to come as the last Adam. So Jesus shows up in the flesh. And, and they got wind of it. Two years old. They're killing everybody two years old because the wise men have told it, the Babylonian priests and everybody has told it. The sovereign of creation is in the planet. And so all Jesus brings for his 
royalty or from his royalty is his blood and his father's spirit because the father is God. The father is the maker of all creation and Jesus is God's offspring. So he comes as a king because he's born from the God who created kings. Otherwise, he, he's got to do sleep like we do 24-7. He's got to submit himself to the laws and the governments and the judgments of the earth. All of that leading up to the big bout. And so they do. They tangle when he does his 40 days, and then that's, that's, that's win number one. And then he goes through it, and they go through trying to kill him, and they can't kill him until God's ready. He finally gets gets uh, betrayed by Judas. He gets beaten all night long. That's number two. He then is judged by Pilate. He gets thrown up on the cross. He gets his 39 stripes and nail prints in his hands. And all of that is to get to the ring. See, we think earth was the fighting ring, but it wasn't. No, mm-mm. hell is the fighting ring. Earth is still the gym. We still, they, they bluffing and fighting each other in the gym before, you know, like a prize fight. We had literally the cosmic of the creation. And so Jesus gets to hell and he goes, he gets beaten. See, one of the things that it, it gets me is that the Lord Jesus takes 39 stripes after he's beaten all night long and walks on by foot, wounded, brutalized, to Pilate, Pilate and back. And he's utterly, utterly destroyed. Now, this is all the while sin is being put on him. With every blow, God is putting the sin of that particular blow um, spirit on Jesus. Every blow, every hit, all of the, the starving him, everything. Everything that sin can do to a human was heaped on Jesus Christ so that all of the humans that believe in him would not have to live that life. So they get to hell, and they do three days and three nights, and there's the fight. We don't know a whole lot, but I think the fight was the first time. I think the first day, whatever they had to do there. But then Jesus goes, and he he wins the fight, whatever the bout was, because he gets to bring all of God's people up. And that's his promise. So you understand, when he brings them out, then God goes and he what? What does he do? He dumps his soul. Now, remember, his soul is made new in hell. He's the first of the new creation. The spirit of, of a holiness breaks through, comes out, meets him in hell, gives him his new spirit, gives him his new soul the way he did with Adam. He rises from the dead. He goes into the cave back into the cloth where, where they wrapped him for his burial, and he goes in, and that new spirit and that new soul revived that body and purged and healed it. He then takes his blood. Where is it? It's in him. He takes his blood, and he goes, because we think he took a chalice. Of, of red blood, all of that, that, that would have burnt up in, in, in traffic, you know, in transit. Here, I'm coming, Dad, I'm coming, I'm talking air, drying it out, you know, everything. He would have got there with no blood. So we know it was not organic blood. It had to be eternal blood. 
So he goes there, and he's got this eternal blood that he pours out on God's altar. Where is he carrying it? In his heart. So he empties out the blood of his flesh, but the blood of his heart, and, or better yet, the blood of his soul. You have to understand that because we so religionize this and we philosophize it and we theologize it so much that we forgot to technologize it because it is a technology. He's a honeyman. And so he did all of that just for the sake of y'all who need a slap and a ring. How about that? So what does he take to heaven? The perfect soul, the perfect heart, the perfect spirit. He takes the perfect new man. That is why he is the last Adam, not the second Adam, because second means there's a third, fourth, fifth, infinitum. He's the last Adam because he was the really first Adam. So what? So now I've said that. So then, what is he? He goes back as the Word that became flesh, and became human, and then became the human divine, and then became the Savior and the Redeemer. And he goes there and he takes his blood. Now, what's in blood? Because you said, like, how do you? How did God judge this? What's in blood? In God's realm, blood is God's Word. And so. All, everything in Christ's blood was all of the judgments, all of the edicts, all of that that have been satisfied. In hell, he had to go through Satan's tribunal. Yeah, well, I got you here. Yeah, but did I ever sin? No. Did I ever fornicate? No. Did I ever drink? Uh, um, uh, what do you say? Did I ever not just drink, but did I ever get drunk? That was the word. No. Did I ever commit any kind of, un- no. Was I promiscuous? No. Was I a liar? No. And Satan had a tick sheet that Jesus had to, that he had to sign off and check off and check off because in his, Satan was examining the brutalized Jesus. Every scar, every hole, every welt, that everyone, not the body, the body's at earth, but the blows that Jesus took on his soul the blows that penetrated the flesh to traumatize his soul, to demonize him. So he's got Jesus in hell, and he's got to, he can't keep him. That's why I said death couldn't hold him. Oh, y'all been saying, come on, somebody. Death couldn't hold him because every reason the death had to take him was unjust and unjustified. So Satan had to see firsthand. He was the total specimen of absolute sin, absolute corruption, absolute failure, absolute defeat, absolute. Anybody hearing me? And with his, t- he went through it, and he's examining because he's not looking at the blows he did. He's looking at the the causes of the blow, the seeds of sin that were not there, and everything God put it on him. God put it on him. God put it on him. God put him on. But he said it was never in him. He couldn't find it in his cells. He couldn't find it in his psyche. He couldn't find it in his heart. He couldn't find the reason that Jesus came to hell. 
so he had to let him go. The case was weak. It was weak legally, judiciously. It was weak genetically. It was weak volitionally. It was weak. He couldn't keep him in hell. And God let him examine his son and examine all of the sin that he put on his first begotten son to make sure he understood that it was imposed. It was not ever engendered or performed. This man fought with sin pulses, impulses all the time, 24-7, between what is the sins of the flesh, the sins of the eyes, the sins of the flesh, and the pride of life. Knowing I'm the sovereign of creation, I can just breathe, halt this, and take all of you all out, but for the love of God. So you understand that when somebody says that you are delivered, there are a whole lot of psychological things, and Satan's going to come and check out your deliverance. He's, he is quality assurance. He's quality control because he, contro- he controls the quality of sin, and he assures its absence in a human being or in a human soul. That's why when you get out of your little 28 days or your little rehabs and whatnot, you are happy and excited, but you have not been inspected. And that's what the, the same spirit that got you in that place has to come and inspect you to make sure there's no place for it any longer in you. I don't know if this helps you all, but this is where we are. So may I get, I gave you a sample. You need to do two things right now. You need to, first of all, go online and get your copy of if you want to be free. And, you know, you're here, and don't even, listen, if it's worth it to you to be free, if this costs $5,000 for you to have a lifetime of freedom and liberty, prosperity, and soul health, you, want, you should pay it. Because many of you buy cars you don't need, purses you don't need, you get furniture you don't need, you go on trips and vacations you don't need, and you take that same sick soul with you everywhere and bring it back home with more of the same. So in here, we talk about the will's power. You gotta, that, that's worth it all by itself. Soul content, your soul will and your heartache, having your way and the cost. That is, the, that is just a, a taste of it, but you should make sure that you are the healthiest you you can be because I'm going to tell you, without soul power, you have nothing but physical perversion. You're not even trying to be. You know, the word perversion, we, you know, we know it brings about all of the negative things, but perversion is what? Thoroughly turned. Now you must convert because you were perverted. So this will convert you from the perversion that you didn't even ask for. Half of you don't even believe what you're compelled to do. You don't believe it. That's why you're miserable in the middle of the night. That's why you're sick of yourself. That's why you're beating yourself. And then you go and anesthetize that guilt by doing, taking some sort of substance that numbs you, numbs your emotions to the guilt and the sorrow that comes from doing what you hate doing. You hate being this. You hate it. You know, people just assume that everybody just loves their sickness. Not everybody. Psychopaths may. But, and even they don't like it. It's just that they so buried 
all of those things that even they can't find it any longer. But most of you, you hate it. You hate it because you love your God. You all get out of the bed of fornication and go to church. Why? Because you're trying to make fun of God? Yeah, probably. But you also go because you feel bad about something you can't help doing. You just can't. You wish you could. And you wish that somebody would help you. And in the middle of the night, you hear your heart crying, somebody help me. Please, stop me. Somebody. Because this has got to end. The fullness of all of the atrocities and all of the this, this, uh, abuses and all of the, the, uh, per, what is the perversions, they, they have an end. And when they get to that end, your body, your soul, your mind cries out, please help me. Please, somebody. This is a great thing. I promise you, before you spend the next $2,000 and $3,000 on deliverance, airfare, gas, food, hotel, before you do that, buy this and listen to it. And listen to it at least 10 times. And every time you listen to it, get a brand new journal and write what you're getting from it. So and number the journals, first listen, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way down. Listen to it ten times. And I promise you that if you did that with your heart and with faith, that you really were sincerely ready to be free, then you will be free by the tenth time. Because the Bible said God will, will answer you when you seek him. And he said that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. But see, being saved and sanctified, saved, delivered, those are three things. Those three different things. And sanctification is the next step for from salvation. You say your sinner's prayer, you get immediately get into a sanctification regimen. And this is a good place to begin. Are y'all are they following me? Y'all rolling with me? Are you really are you like really in your Soul, get it. See, you need answers because the soul needs truth serum to be delivered. You shall know the truth, and it will make you free, and it will set you free. It's truth serum that delivers the soul. So everything that you deal with about your bondage came from a lie. So we have now got to get through that so that the lie will stop overlaying the truth that is already in you. So the soul will never be free without truth. It can be consoled with a lie. It can be calmed. It can be drugged and necessized. It can even be psyched and deluded into thinking it's free until the reason that you became a captive psychological, soulological captive until that reason reappears. And when it reappears, it's going to knock that false healing, false delivery off its place, and it's going to reassert itself. It's very difficult. You know, I'm looking at Soul Health Weekends, where I'm going to have a couple times a year folk come in, and we're going to just deal with your soul stuff. Just, just deal with it. We have a wonderful uh, staff here who can help you. Because, see, we had all of this. We know we had the pigs in the parlor and the, and the devils in the corner, and we had the, you know, how name them and, and claim them so that you can disclaim them and all of that. Uh, we had that. But all of that is just the beginning because the body was made by a, if the, the omni, 
omni or omniscient God. God knew everything he was doing when he made man. And it's that omniscience that you must draw from, that archive, and, and not just the omniscience, but that omnific experience that God has had since he said, let us make man. All of that is hidden in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's hidden in him. And, and it's the most interesting thing, like Adam, Jesus, although he dealt with all of the spiritual sin and all of that, but like Adam, Jesus had to come to the planet and in the planet experience for humanity all that doomed it, all that deadened it to him, and all that debilitated God's crowning creation, of which you and I want a part of. So you have to do this, but you have to, this has to be your work. You've been paying psychologists for years. You've been paying clinicians for years, et cetera, and some of you should. But this, even with them, they will tell you, this has to be your work. It cannot be somebody else's job because what you eat won't make somebody else fat. What you drink will not quench someone else's thirst. What you, where you sleep will not rest anyone else. There are things in life that are solely on you. You cannot spread a, a, a full meal around to everybody. Boy, that was so good. Let me just share it with you. No, you can't do that. You've got to do it. It's in your body. It's, it's your process. But you have to do it. But I'll tell you this. Jesus came as the way, the truth, and the life for a reason. Because his people had lost their way. They were bound by a lie. And they were dead to him. And so when you get an opportunity like this, I believe this is an amazing opportunity. I know it's an amazing uh, teaching. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. You all know me. You know Dr. Paula Price. Y'all know me. Y'all know I don't play with God. I don't lie on the Holy Ghost. I do not give you gimmicks. I don't need gimmicks because the truth stands on its own. See, the truth rules alone. So I don't have to do that. I don't have to take advantage of your, your pain, your sorrow, your gullibility, your naivety. I don't have to do any of that. All I have to do is what the Lord did, deliver his truth for it to deliver your soul. Soul needs true serum. It needs truth in the inward parts. That's what David understood. He said, I need truth in the inward parts. In the inward parts, my soul is bound and contaminated by uncleanness because of the lies I've been told and the falsehoods I believed and the falsity I followed. And some of it is you, but I would venture to say a lot of it started before you could say mama, dada. So make sure you do it. Look at the willpower. What is, the, what is your will's power in you? How about first learning this purpose? And then understanding your soul's content. I gave you some idea about that. And then your soul's will and heartache. Does your soul will your heartache? And then having your way and the cost. What does it cost you right now? There's a payoff for you not wanting to be free. What is the cost? What is it going to cost you to be free? Who must you cut off? What must you break up with? What must you leave behind? What must you sever? What must you accept? Who must you clash with? See, there's a cost 
for staying in bondage and captivity. And the one thing a deliverance line will do was allow you to uh, to imagine yourself being free or to delude yourself into being thinking you're free and never making you pay the cost. I don't know about anybody else, but I think that's great. So I'm calling my prophets. We're a little over today, but I think you like it. I would encourage you right now to go. I'm sure that Rachel has put it up where you can get your copy of this. I want you to go and get it and get your own. And listen, if you really want to be free by truth, don't go and steal somebody else's and don't tell people, don't worry about buying it. I'll let you use mine because that's still a lie. That's theft. That's still corruption and perversion. And that you shouldn't be that should not be the first thing you do with your opportunity for truth that make it free. So don't do that. Don't go and say, okay, I'm going to do this class. I'm going to have my own clinic, and y'all just come to me, and you're going to charge them tuition and not make them buy this. They need to purchase this themselves. You need to invest in your deliverance because the Bible has a sowing reaping policy that says what you sow is what you're going to reap. But also, if someone sows to you spiritually, you must reciprocate materially. See, those are truths that you forgot, and they're also truths that a lot of leaders talked you out of. See, a lot of leaders talk you out of various truth elements that are guardians or preventatives, protections for your soul, because your soul is more interactive with the Almighty than your body is. Hallelujah. So here it is. Now, before I open it up, because I'm just getting enough. They can get it on your website homepage. Okay. But do you have enough stuff in there? You got something to say? Of Tristan? course. Just you. Of How about you? Where's the blue? Oh, the blue. <laughs> okay. Let's, let me just say this. You know, I've been having a lot of people talking about inclusionism, mostly African Americans, because we just, you know, we just, we, we sanction something. Again, so not true. See, the soul that's not true is highly susceptible to deception because it's all about feeling. So I'm going to spend a month on inclusionism since I understand our brother said that he got his message out. So I want to deal with his message. You know, on a debate show, he said he got his message out. So then I want to deal with his message for our people, for our sake. Because as African Americans, we don't tend to be as scrupulous with God's truth as some of the other races. And, and, and I don't mean all of us. That's not as a collective. Right. You know, because there, there are individuals who are, we got scholars who are amazing. I mean, I've got some that I absolutely just, just adore in Jesus. But the, but the body, I'm, this is for the body, the people who walk around believing that. So I just had my staff do a deep dive research. They gave me a packet like this that I'm going through. And I'm going to spend a month getting God's message out. Because, see, we got the devil's message out. Yes, Lord. Now we need to get God's message out. So we're going to spend a month, me and the prophets, hallelujah, and we're going to counter this thing. You know, even with Bible, like, um, one of the comments he made is that, you know, the Bible doesn't really say that God sent anybody to hell. I was like, so you haven't been there for a while. I understand you ain't been there for a while. See, I don't really care about him. He made his decision, but I do care about you. Mm-hmm. I care about you 
being in truth. God said, I love John. John said of the elect lady, he was glad to see her children walking in truth. I got a predecessor, a biblical predecessor that lets me know I'm right. He said he was glad to see them walking in love and they were in truth. And this woman, if you read it, because half of you all, I'll have to do a teaching on that one. If you ever read Second um, John about the elect lady, I want you to understand, only a woman can preach that. A man can't preach it because a man can't see what her issues were. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, saying that, I'm not saying that they, or I should say a man shouldn't because anybody can do anything. You know, we can do all things, and Christ can do that. But they, they're going to go technical and theological, but I'm going to go experiential. There's a reason why John had to write her. There's a reason why he had to put her in God's Bible. And there's a reason that God did not let those, those male-dominated decision-makers write her out. Okay. And so, you know, I, you know, every now and then when I do the women thing, and I don't do it a lot, but especially women apostles, oh, yeah, we got to get in that. Because let me tell you something, that validates us, men talking about, well, you know, God, first of all, I need y'all third world preachers to get in the first world because that's a third world theology. It's an ancient world theology. I need you to come up to the 21st century and get into the first world. But we'll talk about that later. Isn't that nice? But I'm going to spend a month, a whole month on inclusionism. I might have some pop-ups. They may have some pop-ups because we are uh, we're letting it go. You know why? Because I care about you. And I walk, and I love you. See, she Paul uh, applauded her for the love that she had. See, because people who really love you, they want to cure you. They want to strengthen you. They want to empower you, enlighten you. People who just lust you only want to get their, get their interests and their uh, desires out of you. Because, see, people who really love you won't harm you. When it says love does no harm to its neighbor, that's a big statement. Because, see, a lot of what we have called culture and trend is harmful to our neighbor. So don't talk to me about loving your native neighbor and you don't care about spreading disease to them. See, because love doesn't do that. Love does not do any harm to its neighbor. You don't care about causing our children to be literally be exposed and vulnerable to disruption. No, that's not love. That is not love. That is a leery seduction. Wow. And that's different from love. But anyway, who's oh, so one month? She's we're going to be promoting it, and I'm going to spend a whole month, and we're going to do it. We're going to have some of our other prophets come in and take a piece of this. We are all going to do it because it's a prophet's job. Mm. It is. Mm. And when you get here in June, you're going to see it. It's the prophet's job to defend God's people from, the, from truthless rhetoric, beliefs, and doctrine, and to bring them back into the light. Our job, because God is the God of truth, our job is to obliterate every lie and every deception that threatens God's people and his hold on them. That's the job. That's what the ancient prophets did. And we're going to talk to, to that at our event this year, at our June Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. I'm going to give you a literal work profile okay. of a prophet. What a prophet did for God when the prophets were in control. 
See, most of these prophets took you supernaturally to other gods and other beliefs, and that's why you're stuck. Because, see, God is a jealous God. So you got them other gods over him laying them down, and he acting like he was when they put him with Dagon. He's cutting off heads, cutting off arms, knocking things out. So you're uncomfortable. No prophet of Jesus Christ will take you to another god, will tell you there's value or worth in another god. There is not. See, because we keep talking about faith and doctrine and faith and religion, you don't realize that religions come from deities. And faith is in deities. Not just in belief only, because then it's your faith in yourself and faith in your belief. And some people like that. So then you're deity-less. That's okay. But re- religion comes from deities, and faith is in deities. And we need to, that, that's another, um, we need to write that wrong, because that's, that, that, that's erroneous. And that's why Satan got you all to believe anything. Well, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, it's what you believe in. You can believe in what you want. I mean, you yourself could be a god. You could, but you'll probably be a fallen mortal one. Matter of fact, the God that's in you is fallen and mortal. I'm just saying. Well, I just want to reinforce that they can enroll in your soul of success from your webpage home site. Dr. Paula Price, Dr. Paula A. Price.com, right there on the homepage. You just scroll down, you have a description and the link that connects you to the site where you can enroll with a $50 coupon. Oh, $50 yeah. $50 off. $50 off. to the end of April. It will change your life. Mm. We're just swimming in deliverance over here. <laughs> Is that what we're doing? Swimming in it. Did I open up the deliverance pool? You opened it up. Okay. Can you talk about the emotional addiction? Oh, And how yeah. when you maybe are not seeing, realizing, or wanting to believe that you are emotionally addicted to either your emotion or to an idea or being fixated or things like that? Well, the first thing, that is a very good question. The first thing I would like to tell you is that all addictions begin with emotions. Emotional, emotional appetites, which is what we're going to discuss, emotional appetites. Because there are people who have an appetite. That's how the media, the, you know, the industry, the entertainment industry thrives off emotional appetites. Now, that's not bad. So, it's going to be obviously, we, that's part of our makeup. But there are emotional appetites. There are emotion. There are dramatic appetites when you just need stuff happening. Uh, those, those, you know, those, those um, Maury Povich type shows. Those are people addicted to drama. They need disturbance in their lives. They need to feast on other people's disturbance. That's an addiction, but it's an addiction of your emotion. So your emotion needs to feel on people's abuse of each other, people's mistreatment of each other. That's where, I mean, all of these are the predicates of crime and lawbreaking and lawlessness. So we have that. Then we have people who are addicted to the emotion of rage and anger. They feel good every time they blow up. They just blow up. And, you know, and, and like to be with Rose Rage, they blow up. These are people who feel like the only power they have is exploding on others. Wow. No other power. And, and so in their minds, they have to have that feeling of overpowering people with anger or rage or disappointment or whatever. Outbursts of wrath is what God calls it. So there are people who need that. And so, 
have whole families because they tend to find each other. <laughs> These are your fruit, your feuders. Oh, the fueling. So the fueling feuders. And so they, they are always, I mean, all the time you turn around, a bit hot, they're waiting. They're always spoiling for a fight or spewing for an argument, even in calm situations. Yeah, well, it better not happen to me. Yeah, but I did not, because if it wasn't for, and Christians, if it, if it wasn't for Jesus, I mean, I don't want to have to put my salvation down. You didn't pick Ooh. it up. Ooh. See, you are, that's you. That's you. You're a fueling, fueler looking for a fight. You are one of those people that want a reason to say the salvation almost, almost works, almost satisfies you, but you have a greater satisfaction in that of anger and rage, outbursts of wrath. So you have that. Then you have people who have to have pitiful stories. I mean, these are the people who are going to have the love story, and it's pitiful. And so they, I mean, it's, it's just, they got to, I mean, and, they, and, and most times they need the story to be theirs. It's got to come out of their life. This is another emotional addiction. So your emotions have, a t- have all the, the addiction ingredients you need to become physically addicted. Wow. Mm. So your emotions are where it starts because those, those addictions create sensors that, that literally have to go and bring that in. So you have that. So the people, you know, when we get the people, and, and Christianity is the person that keeps got to talk about the sad, sad testimony they had before Christ saved them. And you ask them, how long you been saved? 50 years. <laughs> so you got nothing else to say about your salvation other than that story. Right. You know, and then you have pride of life addictions. Yeah, because, honey, nobody dared cross me. I did this. I did that. I killed people. I did that. And bragging. Bragging about the, the pride of life, that Leviathan spirit that motivated you to do whatever you felt would, that would give you self-aggrandizement. You're going you're gonna to definitely celebrate yourself, mm. but you're going to celebrate your baser self. Wow. So those are just some of these things. So when I listen to people, and we all do, we just get in the back room and talk about them. I, I, well, it depends on if I'm in a, in a class or not. But most times, and these are people you avoid because their emotions are always looking. Their, their emotions are kind of like an octopus. It's always looking to find something to draw in and to grab so that it can relive and satisfy that emotional deficit. Hmm. that needs these things to feel satisfied. So it's always hungry. The emotions are always hungry for the next thing because that's why they're emotion. They are there to move your life. So they move from your heart to your body's heart, from your soul heart to your physical heart so that it can begin to saturate it and satisfy all of those physical senses that you have to make you feel content and to make you feel whole in the planet. Mm. Did you like that? I did. <laughs> I took notes. Did you like that? I did. How about you? Did you like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Did you like that mental health mod? <laughs> we, got men- <laughs> we got mental health mod in the studio today. You know, so she over here, I mean, she's you right. Speaking of her stuff yeah, today. I was on your stuff. She said, I got to get over there. Anything <laughs> else? Oh, wow. A question or a comment? Whichever you choose. Okay, so question. How can someone tell if they're doing something for the right reason? Like if their motives are pure, 
And I know sometimes we think impure motives are always like for a seedy reason. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it's just a, a motivation that really is for another reason beyond maybe the obvious. You know, the Bible says every heart knows its own bitterness. Mm-hmm. That means every heart knows it's wrong and it's right. Mm-hmm. It's good and it's evil. The people know that. You know that by the time you get through high school. You pretty much know it. Now, you may hide yourself from it. You may have developed a, 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 a whole host of, of uh, character behaviors or characteristics that you, that you cast in its place to cast you as a good person, to cast you as a do-gooder. But every heart knows its own bitterness. That's one thing God says. And, and God says his word is a, is, a, is a what? Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that means that both your thought and your intent in your heart. That's going back to our emotions. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, you know, we, anybody can make a mistake. Anybody. So part of motivation, uh, especially exploring motivations, has to do with the mistakes you've made in relation to what you're contemplating doing. Like even thought and intent, you have to ask yourself, what do I want to get out of this? Mm-hmm. And then you have to say, you cannot, and don't cast yourself as the hero. Well, many times we do. Well, you know, like the person that says, I'm generous to a fault. First of all, those like cancel out each other, okay? Or you're Please saying generosity, that generosity is a fault, okay? So whenever you're gener- generous, you are actually acting from your faults. That means that all your generosity should be evil spoken of? No, it means that you're just too giving. Yeah, but you know what? There's no, there's no scripture to support that. There really isn't. There's no scripture. The Bible said that there is no limit to love, and generous people usually are moved by some sort of love, love for helping situations, whatever. You can pick it out. So that's the first thing. You know, we have those, you know. And then um, so you have to ask yourself what you want. What am I trying to do? If you're going to wake up and say, I'm going to give somebody a bag of clothes, you have to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Now, let's say you just lost, you know, a lot of weight. And so you've got all of these clothes. And so you're opting to not take them to consignment where you get paid, and you're opting to help somebody in need. The motivation for that is very clear. You could profit over it. You were right in profiting over it, but you decide to go generous. Now, how is that a fault? Right. You know? And and so that's just some of the things that, you know, I don't know if that's helping you. So that's the one motivation. Another motivation, once you ask yourself, what do you want to get out of it? In other words, to get out of it means how do you want them to respond to your goodness, your good deed? How many of us walked away? He didn't even say thank you. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, uh, she just disregarded everything I did. So then it was, a, a, it was to make them beholding to you, even if it is an emotional response you're seeking, okay. instead of whether you thank me or not, this is the goodness of my heart. Because God gives his blessings to the thankful and the unthankful. But because God is being him. God is being, I'm God. I'm generous. I'm faithful. I'm gracious. I'm being me. And so being you is the one antidote for being offended when people don't respond to your, your overtures, your generosity, your kindness, your favor, because you're being you. You're satisfying you. Cool. Good. Wow. See, when you satisfy you, what they do with that 
is on them because it's also that puts an assignment on them to be revealed or to reveal what their heart is and their attitude is. So, so that, you know, so God is being God. So being, being you, just I give because I'm a giving person. Like I sing because I'm a singing person. I dance because I'm a dancing person. I forgive because I am a forgiving person. But that is about, so it starts with, who you are, your basic nature, your fundamental construct, your solological construct. So you mean that meanwhile you won't hold grudges. Like I just miss folks because I am not carrying somebody else's baggage. A soul healing is really all about you discovering the you God put in the planet and then discovering the upgrades Christianity or the new creation gave you or discovering the edges that God's way of life provides. It gives you an edge. If God is, if Jesus and the word is oh, just a philosophy, it's still to give you an edge. Wow. How many times do we punish people because they didn't reciprocate the way we wanted, which doesn't always mean in kind, but like you yeah. said, that big thank you moment, that big whatever. And sure, you want people to say thank you. But gratitude because nice that story. would be nice. Mm-hmm. But to move into that unforgiveness, punishment, well, I'm never going to do that again, you know, and you just totally shut the door and move on from the moment, never even speaking to that person again. to say, even just to start a conversation, are you enjoying mm-hmm. the whatever? Mm-hmm. Was it a help? Was it, and then you'll find out, you know, and or I mean, you know, but just I mean, you talking about that, thinking, oh, wow, we really do. But you just answered. You said, and move into motivation is move. Yeah. So they move. So you understand your motivation was their response. Yeah. Your you had a reciprocation, a predetermined reciprocation, yeah. but your motivation was their response, and not you being you, irrespective of how they respond. You know, and people do that all the time. And then here's another one. You know, how do you know if your motivations are right? Going to people and giving them counsel because you're angry or you disapprove of what they're doing. So you're not being you. Wow. Because before you, unless you're in a position, a professional position, God commands compassion first. Right. And not going Okay, and we always want to, because the church is good for scolding people. I get, people scold me all the time. I just got through with a whole bunch of young folks, half my age, scolding me on every corner. Like, you haven't even lived my life, walked my walk. You don't even know what I did in life. Right. See, Christians are known for scolding. And, 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 and the reason you scold is because of a sense of superiority and your external fix-it mechanism that is ignoring the internal fixings that must happen. Okay. So we, you, you, the, we, you know, and this is age-old thought. You know, I mean, we, we've heard this for decades, but it's really when it becomes, when it becomes a question of motivation, you have to ask yourself, how do I want this person? First of all, do I have a right, or, is, or am I just being medicine? You know, the Bible talks about being medicine, and a lot of ministry is medicine. Come on. So, you know, because what Paul said, not a busybody meddling in folks' affairs. Right. And a lot of times we think busybody is this gossipy, loud, pushy woman, but sometimes busybody is very stealth. And and it's and it's and it doesn't like something uh, something affronted its sensibility, something affronted its its own um its own 
what I want to say, theology or philosophy, it's own belief and value. And so when, you, when something affronts it, you come up with a, what you call a rational way mm. of fixing it and getting rid of it so that you, you want to conform them to your personality and your persona and your perspectives on a base of, just sheer on a basis of dislike of how they, them, them being true to themselves and you. So the church will get into a scolding mode, or we'll call it, well, you know, I don't mean, I'm not trying to offend you. When you first start out, anything you start out with what you're not trying to do, that's what you're trying to do. That's <laughs> like people saying, all due respect, uh-huh. as I'm about to disrespect Which you. Which now, I'm ready to get undue disrespect, <laughs> okay? No offense, no offense but I'm about to offend, offend you. you. <laughs> so, and we do that because we, in our hearts, we're not doing it for the person's best interest. We're doing it for our personal interests, and that's a personal motivation. Because when you really think about it and you start talking about it, we do that because we really don't want them to retaliate against us, Yes. that we don't want them to take what we're saying in a way we didn't intend. And so, and we don't want their reaction to be offensive to us. Right. So we'll start with, I don't mean to offend you. I'm getting ready to offend you real good. And I've thought about right. it for a long time. Okay. And so, and so when you think about that motivation, you are, you're already motivated to make a convert okay. to your own view. Now, that, that could be good or bad. Again, you know, church is so busy trying to do this good, bad, good, bad, good, bad thing that we don't realize that there are times that that needs to happen. We just need to examine those, uh, those, those issues and situations, circumstances, if you will, where yeah. they are beneficial. But the idea, God said, defer to your brother, prefer your, 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 your brother over yourself. It says, you know, do not rebuke an elder. You know, we got the big issue. There's an elder. Like, with this whole situation I was in, I was like, but you all are nowhere near scripture because it said rebuke not an elder. Mm-hmm. Yes. It said, no matter what you feel, you're young. Your rebuke is coming on the heels of somebody who lived a whole life that you know nothing about. So, and then we have the whole other piece of criticism. Oh, let's talk you know, about that. Because criticism, I don't mean to criticize you, but criticism is rooted in judgment. Uh-huh. So, first of all, we need to understand, we need to accept whether or not this is our job to do, or is it our job to pray for God to send the person that He ordained to do? Mm-hmm. Because when God sends the person He ordained, it's sweet, and even if it's volatile, there is that, that, that window where they'll come back and say, this is God. I don't like how you said it. I don't like that you called me out. But it, it, it's not the same as saying, I'm going to criticize you so that I correct you. And I'm going to, you know, so I'm using my criticism to correct what I don't like about you as opposed to what is unhealthy for you, what is unwholesome for you, what is detrimental to your life. Because when you really care, then I don't, you know, your offense doesn't matter because in my, now this is me, there are other people have different perspectives, but my, my role in your life is not just to tell you how much God loves you, but to show you that God love, God's love corrects and, and that what it is that you're doing is holding up his blessings on your life, mm-hmm. holding up his purpose for you, bearing you off course. Now, sometimes I've, I've said that to people and they, you know, they said, I don't, I don't care, I, this is what I want. Then you can do that. But I'm now, because of what God has assigned me to do in your life, I'm free. What do he say to Ezekiel? Yeah. Listen, if I tell you to go warn the righteous, 
If I tell you, but Ezekiel was first put in God's official service. Okay. Now, in With us, we say But God said, go fix that. Why? Because the reason this is important, I think it's a very important discussion, is because every life has an allocation and allotment of blessings. Every life has a portion, a measure of promises, prosperity, etc. But there are spiritual forces that are obeying eternal laws that distribute these that apportion them out. And so as much as God says, yay, 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 it's like me and my staff. I've gone to my staff. I say, go give so-and-so, so-and-so. Does the price? I'll obey you. But let me just tell you where they have violated the letter and spirit of our rules or our protocols. So even though I want to bless somebody because of how they behave or how they, what they've done or how they've so pushed back on my leadership, Mm-hmm. or push back on my representatives and, 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 and my, my uh, ministers, because of that, I can't do anything. And if I do it, then I discredit all of the people that I put in authority, and I discredit their righteousness and their integrity. So I've got to roll with that. Well, that's God's work. You know, God has, you know, we, we like to talk about the angels, but those angels are not decorations of creation. They're not just hanging out there like wall plaques. They're people. <laughs> Yeah. They're beings, and they have responsibilities and duties to the uh, to each other. They have this handoff responsibility, and they have duties to each other. And, and and because we want to live, saying especially in America, it is what we say it is. It does what we say it does. We because we can't. We want to operate on that. We get stunned when life. When invisible agents, I'm going to do a whole piece on spiritual protocratics, but when invisible agents have to be loyal to their job, they have to be loyal to their calling. That's good. That's good. And nobody tells you that. Oh, no, just go command the angels. Those are not your angels. Now, if you're talking about command your devils, have at it. But Can you imagine the chaos and destruction we would have? I mean, there's just a pragmatic reason for why that doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? If you could just command the angels, what, what angels to do what and to what extent? So you're going to command them to take out a city. You're going to command them to save a city. You're going to yeah. command them to smack your boss inside the head and give you a raise. And this person's going to command. I mean, we would have just absolute anarchy all over the place. We would. And that's a point that I want to stress. Because we think that everything in Scripture is is strictly literary, right, and not to be taken literal, because we believe that, we don't expect that there is a living machine, a living force full of living beings. Now, the Bible talks about God as living creatures, but do we believe that? No. Not really. But they, and, and that they're rational that they're intelligent, super intelligent, they've been around for ages. Even if they were like low on the podium, or even if we got the, the densest angel God had, if there was one. <laughs> entry, they've been around entry, for... Entry-level angelic. Entry. Yeah, brand new. You knew, newcomer, novice, novice angel, okay? You just knew. <laughs> You're but, only a millennial. They've been around, they've been around for... If the Earth has been around 4 billion years, so they say, 
and the universe, you know, six to eight or whatever being beings of years. And then God created all of that, and behind that, there's God in his world. You realize that even the dumbest angels will be smarter than the brightest human. If it's not, even if it's only on the basis of recall. <laughs> you know, I remember. They got memory. I mean, I remember. But, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about this angel is just just hot out the, the, the star nest, the star lab, or whatever they call it. What is it? The star moon. Just fresh out. <laughs> they haven't read the book. Okay. <laughs> that angel is still going to outdo you. Which way, yeah. sir? <laughs> okay. Can you oh, my, oh, my Saturn. What is there? You know? I think my GPS is off. <laughs> And, and, and you have to understand, they have a connection with God that we didn't have because uh-huh. God's got to move them throughout creation. Yeah. So he is how they get around. So when you start talking about commanding the angels, you're talking about commanding, uh, the, angel got, the angel has God saying, you're going to go blah, 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 blah. Here you go, stop. I want you to go over there and beat up my boyfriend. In the name of Jesus, you work. Okay. They don't do trivia. They can't do trivia because trivia is the result of fallen humanity. Devils do trivia. Mm. And so we've got to separate the spiritual forces and agents that we are trusting and then to turn around and say, well, I just, you know, well, uh, God just sent so-and-so to me. No, if you're not going to be great, God's not sending Gabe. I'm sorry. Wow. He doesn't need to. That's like way too much intelligence to send to say, hey, Tomorrow you'll have church. No. We need somebody global. I'm thinking brother got a lot more to do, okay, and a lot of things that he's got to handle. And to understand that for them to get to that level in God, they are superior beings. Because you can't stand, the closer you get to God, the more your sin's going to die or you're going to flee. Because that truth is going to ache. I mean, it's going to agitate your soul. You're going to hate it. Like we talk about, just bring me nearer. No, you don't want to be nearer. And when God brings you nearer, it's because he wants to impart to you the power to be a world effect. That's why he, because otherwise God's got this whole passive mechanism called dreams and visions. Right. Just passive. Okay, we'll just send a little message down there to so-and-so. I'm calling you to ministry. Send. Okay, we do. You know, there are people that you want to write a whole letter to. Some people you want to give them a little email. Other folks you want to give them a text. Or some messages only require a text. And then you got some people who need a library. Because their effect, we don't think cause and effect is in God's realm. So I'm going to tell you right now, those, I can imagine, well, anyway, I can imagine those angels saying, yeah, right, mm-hmm. when we get to it. Who are they talking to? That's what they sitting there saying, oh, the angel hearing you talk about, oh, psh, dismiss, dismiss, like we do with email. Delete, 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 delete. Delete all? Oh. <laughs> My favorite button, yes. Are you sure you want to permanently? Yes. <laughs> and take it out your record because they are working for the almighty. They are working with the Almighty. The Almighty is not giving you all his plan. And if he's not giving you all his plan, then he's not giving you full command. That's good. <laughs> we have to stop making people think that the angels are your servants. That's not a slave system there. Wow, wow, wow. They're not your servants. Not like that. They're, they're, they serve you according to how God has decided to 
deal with you in your earth realm and to deal with you either as a saved or unsaved person, as a sinner or a righteous person. They've got criteria. They've got, uh, what do you call it, God? They've got parameters. Thank you. That you can't dream. Mm-hmm. You can't dream. You know, we still get mad at God when the person dies that we think should have lived. Yeah. That angel's not mad with God. That angel's like, I'm at your work. Yeah. We're just here to do your work. I have done. And they don't care. You keep thinking that they, they, they do love us. Don't get me wrong, because they do. I mean, I've heard that enough. They love us, but they love God more. Oh. And see, they lead us, but they follow God. And they have their own realms. Anyway, that's a whole other class. So I'm telling you, I'm just a whole other class. But I'm telling you, you have got to stop being presumptuous with spiritual and eternal things. Just because it's invisible doesn't mean that it is under your control. It's not subject to you. Well, you can't even see it. I mean, we can't control one thing that we can't see. No. Not the air. Not the wind, not our not bodies, bodies, not not the molecules no, no, that no. make us up. Nothing, no. yeah, nothing, nothing. So we so that makes us presumptuous. I mean, I've heard people talk about angels showing up in there, then and there, but they're there on God's command for God's purposes. Because trust me, when you separate from God, they stop. When Saul separated from God, God took his angel and gave and let Satan install a counterfeit in his place. So a lot of times, people start telling me stuff. I keep saying, but that don't sound real to me. So working for you? I was like, yeah, and his, Especially when they're when there are a vulgar and unclean elements or actions or insinuations involved, I know then that God switched out your angels. Wow, you know, because see, God's going to get His will done. He just doesn't have to get it get His will done with the best of the best. He just needs to get it done depending on that will with the availability. So do. You, you you talked about this once, and I I wanted to ask a follow up then, but there was an opportunity, but. Do all people then have angels that are assigned to them? You know, you hear that concept, your guardian angel. How true is that? Do we all have angels that are assigned to us? Yes, Jesus said we do. He said our angels stand in the presence of God. You know, talking about the little kids, Mm -hmm. do not hurt the, you know, if you abuse one of these little ones or offend one of these little ones, their angels are there to report to God what you did to a kid. Like all of these sex traffickers and these sex traffickers, those angels are already getting ready to gang up on them because I've seen them. It's getting ready to be a real nasty thing because God said he will avenge every child you abuse. He will avenge every child you kill. And see, a lot of them, your own little kids, you out here ripping up other people's daughters and ripping up their kids and whatnot, and you sitting there and got 10 guards to protect yours. You need 10 because you know yours, yours should be ripped up as well because that's what you did. And wow. so the Bible is very specific about what you sow is what you reap. So you notice that God is God getting ready to pull the hedge off of all of these offenders and pull the hedge off of their kids. And not a guard you can find is going to save your kids going to be laid up in there with disease. They're going to be laid up there with all kinds of un, uh, uh, unhealthy things. You know why? Because God has got to let you feel what those people are feeling whose children you destroy. See, God is about you understanding what you're doing. He knows that it's deadness making you do it. He knows that it's, it's law, you're, you're lost, but God is getting ready to do it. Trust my words. Wow. Trust my words. 
I'm telling you that God, right now, he's waiting to get certain things done. That's a whole other thing, understanding providence, free will, and all of that. God's waiting for some things to get done. But believe me when I say to you, those angels, mm-mm. and th- the only reason you're alive is because God told those angels not to get you. Because when he releases them, I want you to understand, Herod was fine until he started messing with God. When he started I messing with God, the angel didn't say the Lord. It said right. the angel, because they have the right. They have latitude. There are angels who have that latitude. There are watchers who have that latitude. See, we don't teach that any and longer. That is many times in Scripture. Exactly. That the and angel they, went out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we got a lot of Christians praying for God to convert a heinous person so that they come to the truth. But you realize it takes a lot longer to convert than to condemn. And some of us may not have it, but you don't have a right to command God's angels, but everybody has them. So, and, the, and, and you, there's a whole other kind of discussion that can happen as to why God le- is letting this done and letting that done. And he talks to me about it. We talk about it all the time. And so... But, but again, they understand God's invisible staff is superior to humans because they're, they're not mortal. So they're not bound by time and space. They're not going to get sick, have a bad day, stump their toe, have an accident. I'm sure that there is some method or there's some semblance of uh, wounding, but it's not ours. And I know that from Revelations. But you need to recognize that those, they have been at this a long time. If God is Alpha and Omega, you understand, think about this, if God is Alpha and Omega and they've been with God a long time, there's a lot of things in, in their own little clipboards that they got oh, yeah. and, and, oh, they yeah. can, and okay. they'll do. But God, here's the thing, when you move up in God, man, I can't wait till I can teach this, but when you move up in God, then God changes your angels. So the angels that, that got you through childhood and got you through life, <coughs> excuse me, different angels. And then those angels that got you to the cross, they switch off. That angel goes to get somebody else to the cross. Yeah. You now get the angels from the redemption, the redemptive angels of Jesus Christ, which is the importance of Hebrews 1.14. Now, when it's time for you to get, get, um, go into ministry, you get different angels. Because that's how the kingdom is, everything is dealing with God's organization, but it's also dealing with the descriptions, that the job descriptions they have and the the calling on your life. So it's kind of like not everybody in in a corporation, not everybody can handle senior management. Mm -hmm. So... They, you, you, when you go into senior management, your company gives you different secretaries, different, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what do you call it, assistants and administrators. You get different support every team. support team. Yeah. Thank you. And so every angel is different. The angels for apostles are high angels if right. you get them. And you've got to know what you got them now. You can't assume one. Like a lot of these kids talking about I'm an apostle. The angels are like, I'm not a sign. You're a sign. I ain't a sign. <laughs> <laughs>
Right. And they're going to take care of Jesus. When I tell you, yeah. when I had an opportunity to just witness, I said, oh, my God, they love him. His whole world loves him. I mean, they adore him. They sing. As they go about their work, they're just singing songs and whatnot, and they're different because you got the ones that are part of the population, the, you know, the general population, or they call the general, the general, and then you have those that are part of barriers all the way up. And when you look at these, these people love Jesus. I'm telling you, it is, it is understandable why the devil got jealous. I can understand because they adore this man. They adore their Savior. They hate leaving him and having to tackle, take on anything. Because, see, they know leaving him is going to be a lot. Could be a millennium. All right. I'll see you in a millennium. Because, you know, God's going to take a while. And so, but they absolutely love him. They adore the Godhead. I promise you that you Christians who, who, who have picked up Satan's issues with Christ, you will be ashamed of yourself when you get into that realm because they adore him. And because they adore him, they're not going to allow you to command them to betray him. They're not going to let you command them to rebel against him. They're not going to allow you to, to do disobedience. Think about the angel that had to bring Israel in or all of those angels who had to go and fight for God's people. They're on God's team. And when he gives them a nod, because of his favor on you, that's a big deal. That's why these people who, who, who perverted God's gospel and violated him, that is why it was such a heinous thing, because it takes a lot for God to trust his authority in his angels to you. Yeah. Wow. Want to tell me something? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm already <laughs> today. It's time to go ahead and sow a seed. So we're going to take a moment to allow you to give. Rachel's going to put the information on the screen. For Cash App, it's going to be Dr. Paula Price. Dr. Paula Price, all one word. It's her Cash App tag, of course, you know, with the dollar sign. And then paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. Or text to give, 918-608-1378. Again, the text to give is 918-608-1378. Or PayPal or Cash App. Rachel's going to put that on the screen for you guys. Hey. I would, uh, first of all, let me start by saying, as I'm wrapping up, thank you for all of you who have been sowing. Some of you have been just phenomenally generous, and I thank you for it. I released a harvest. My chief apostle's mantle breathes a harvest on your seed. I release a harvest on you. Some of you know, and you all know, I go in there and check because I hit the little button. I learned it. Yes. I'm by myself. And so thank you. The rest of you, please, make sure that you help us get this word out. Help us get this around the world. And lastly, don't miss your opportunity to take care of your soul. This is your soul. Take care of your soul. Make sure you go to my website, Dr. Paula A. Price. Click the button and say, "I'm uh, listen, I'm, ta- I'm going to Soul Clinic. I'm going to do, what is it, Soul of the Success Heart Clinic. Yes. You're getting ready to do some clinicals on your own soul. You can do it. We'll see you Sunday, 8 o'clock for Sunday school at the Congregation of the Mighty, 10 o'clock, praise and worship. Yes. I got it. I love you all. I want you to be blessed. I'm asking God to meet you with a special favor and to meet you with a special grace. I'm asking God to give you jobs. I'm summoning jobs into your life. I am summoning the new school for your kids. Somebody is trying to get their kid in a special school. I call in that tuition for you by the Holy Ghost. I'm summoning spiritual healing. I'm summoning a new relationship. Hey, somebody's supposed to go on a cruise, and you're wondering, God, this seems frivolous. It seems like the worst time. Go on your cruise. That is the Holy Ghost. 
Ghost. You need it because when you come back, you're going to have, have need of that refreshing. Make sure you do that. And then for the rest of you all, I pray for pastors. Pastors, you all are taking blow after blow after blow. I'm sending forth a protective hedge to you, covering you. And, Lord, I thank you for the churches that are pleasing you. Breathe on them, Holy Ghost. Breathe on them and cause them to explode because of your righteousness and because of your truth. And I believe, uh, today I leave you with a Davidic blessing. And that is the bread of life, which is the word of the Lord, and the wine of the Spirit for refreshing. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Did we have fun? Yes. Did Always. Have fun? Yes.